Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Diabetes Dugout. Joining me today, my co-host, Mr. Chris Bright. Brighty, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Strange, strange one following on from uh, Sir Gary Mabbott, but I'm sure our guest today is, is up to it. Yeah, uh, I think our guest today, in his own right, I think he probably would self-proclaim himself as diabetes royalty as well, wouldn't he? So oh, um... I heard he has. Yeah. yeah, I've I've heard the same as well. So um, yeah, very yeah, like you said, a, a great podcast last time out. Um, Gary Mabbott. Um, oh, I, I mean, for both of us, an incredible chat, um, an amazing opportunity to speak to somebody who's been a role role model for for both of us, and to have heard his story, and to have sat there and listened to it live. I felt like I was in a bit of a TED talk with Gary. It was uh, it was pretty special. It was, I think, listening back to it as well. Even I listened back to it a couple of times. And I was going, oh yeah, I'd forgotten he said that. I hadn't realised he said that. I think I was so in awe for the hour and a half that we were chatting. It was incredible. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we digress. Brighty, I've heard that you are back on the futsal court. Talk to me about that. Well, yeah, I mean, we're back out there. Uh, futsal outdoors unfortunately at the moment which never feels quite the same um, as playing indoors but certainly just to be back on the ball back training with the lads starting to prepare towards the uh, national futsal series in in may as long as uh, government regulations allow for it so yeah mate really excited to be back out there and, and getting to to kick a ball around in earnest and um yeah i for me Big news, obviously, to come back and play. But I also hear there's some big news at your end as well, Mr. Peach. Talk uh, us through what is happening. Well, this um, this coming Saturday is going to be my last game of 11 aside. I am finally hanging up the boots. A few years too late, many would say. But um, yeah, this, this Saturday is going to be my last game. What made you call time on it? What was the, what was the reason? What, what made you uh, see... See it I think way? the um, I think the bodies told me again it's it's time to give up, the um, the aches and pains of of trying to keep going, but also just family time. I've um, during during the lockdowns and and not being able to play, I've I've just really enjoyed time with the family and, and look forward to taking the my two young boys out to doing sporting clubs at weekends or taking them to to the cinema just yeah just just spending more time with them I guess will be will be the highlight obviously I'll miss it completely having played for the last 93 years it feels like but um yeah no it'll be it'll be emotional but I think um it'll be the right choice sadly I'll still be around for futsal though I'm not, I'm not giving up on that 
That's good to hear. Uh, I've heard there's another tournament left in those legs of yours. Well, if, if the squad's going up to about 37 players, I'd stand a chance. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mate. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's from from your perspective, though, mate, if it, you feel like the right time um, and obviously you've got I know you've got so much on your plate and with a young family, all of the that you have in terms of your responsibilities, you know, um, it just, yeah. Congratulations on a wonderful footballing career. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy retirement, mate. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> right, mate. Shall we get on with it then as well? Let's get on to, with it. For today's uh, um, and for this week's podcast, uh, who have we got this time out? So joining us today, we have the only Scottish player in the history of Di Euros to represent the United Kingdom. A massive Rangers fan, he was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 21. He hasn't let it hold him back and has gone on to have a successful career both on and off the pitch. And is the only person we know to be sponsored by Iron Brew and is also the self-proclaimed best looking man in TDFC. It's Ian Dingy Dingwall. Dingy, welcome. How are we doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. All the better for speaking to you. <laughs> I took your spot as the best looking then, apparently. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but... Uh, <laughs> it, certainly it, wasn't was my, <laughs> it certainly wasn't my spot anyway. Uh, well, I didn't want to be cheeky, uh, Brady, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, so what, how, how are you north of the border then, my friend? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, been good. Obviously, quiet with the restrictions and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been all right. So we're going to start on this pod by having a little chat with you about your background in football. So talk to me about where your love of the sport starts. What sort of ages did you get involved? We know you've got a special affiliation, which I know we're going to spend some time talking about. So Mm -hmm. come on then, mate. Let's have it. Let's have this story with you about how you got into football. Yeah. Um, Long story short, I mean, it's nothing special, but um, kind of uh, put the football through my dad. He loved football when he was young, so obviously that was just kind of the natural course for me to, to follow in his footsteps. So when I was growing up, I've always had a ball at my feet. and I wouldn't say exactly I was any good, but at least I, I tried. tried my best when I was young. Um, I think my, my dad created a, like a, a football team in the local area. And I think he was only interested to get me a game because I don't think I was good enough to get in any other teams. Um, but yeah, he created that and it kind of gave him something to do with watching me playing football. And obviously I think he enjoyed um, watching me kind of following his footsteps of playing football. I mean, my dad didn't actually play at any decent level. I don't think he'd made me saying that, but um, I think it's just in the west of Scotland and Scotland in general, there's obviously a lot of football was massive and I think there was only one way I could go was playing football. Yeah, and you've you've got a special affiliation as well. So let us in on that that club of yours then and what that means to you in your life and how how much of an impact it has. Yeah. Um I think obviously previous um guests on the podcast have, have mentioned it before, so I think everyone will know. Um I only support the, the best of the best, obviously. Best team in the world, Rangers. Um, 
again in the best of Queen's Park Rangers is that oh no 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 the the most successful team I thought it was I thought it was Berwick Rangers right okay funny jokes guys funny funny (laughs) jokes see now you're just you're going to sit with a wooden spoon the full podcast now aren't you Um, (laughs) nah I support Glasgow Rangers Um, obviously it's it's a big thing in the west of Scotland it's pretty much one or two teams so um, I followed my family's footsteps um, following Rangers. And Dingy, what what sort of, um, you know, growing up without type 1 diabetes and playing football, what are your sort of memories of that sort of period in your life as well, where you didn't have the condition to sort of contend with? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, for me to actually think back to what it was like playing without the condition because I didn't know at the time what it was like to play with it. Do you know what I mean? So it was quite difficult to kind of compare them. Um because playing football as a youngster, I went to high school, you know, to, to 12 years old and kind of fell out with the game. I didn't really play it too much. I was more of a computer gamer, play in a, you know, FIFA on the computer. Still love football, but just I think I knew at that point I wasn't really too good at it and thought, nah, it's not for me to keep playing. I mean, I'd play in the street with my friends and stuff, but um, I stopped playing with football teams and I just kind of would rather watch it or go to the football games. Um, But thinking back now that I have the condition, it's difficult to compare them because obviously as an adult being diagnosed with with type 1, it was a lot of adjusting in adult life. But as a kid, I don't know how I would have managed if I had it back then. I mean, I know yourself, Brighty, you've pretty much had it your, your full life and obviously it's been difficult always trying to manage it. And at a young age, it's probably more difficult to understand actually what's happening um, and why you're different. I didn't have that. So trying to, to compare the two of them, um, it's quite difficult for me to kind of get my head around. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose then it leads you in to thinking about obviously without that without wanting to compare all that challenge around comparing what was that first initial moment like when you were diagnosed with the condition yeah so I mean when I was diagnosed it's it's a strange story but at the same time it's quite similar to everyone else's Um, I was 21 I'd been kind of started back playing football because I was a bit when I, was, when I was young, I was, I mean, I'm quite small just now, but I was very, very small back in the day. So I think that's why I kind of fell out with the game. I was getting pushed off the ball and things like that. So when I grew a wee bit older, I got a wee bit bigger. I think I'd say a wee bit tougher as well, knowing that I'm going to get pushed off the ball. So I started playing football again and unfortunately got injured. So I was in crutches for quite a, quite a length of time. And one night I was getting up and down, going from my room to the bathroom to use the toilet. And that must have been about three or four times during the night. And the next morning, my mum said to me, you know, why why do you keep going to the toilet? Already? Because she's type one as well. And I said, well, I needed the toilet. Kind of laughed it off. I was like, well, that's, that's the normal. And she said, do you do that every night? And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, yeah, well, three or four times a night, I'm probably getting up to go to the, use the toilet to come back. And the first thing she said is, I bet you're diabetic. 
I shrugged off. I was like, nah, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's nothing to do with that. Um, but yeah, she made me go to the hospital. And two, two or three hours later, um, after waiting on a, a very short QAD, I was on insulin, which was a big shock. Um, considering I went from um, in crutches, finding it difficult just to go to the toilet, waking up the house to, you know, later the same day, having to inject myself. You know, every time I eat, big shock. So, Dingy, you mentioned there about um, your mum being a type 1 diabetic. So, obviously, you, am I, would I be right in saying that you, you had a little bit of knowledge about it before your diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. Um, my mum was diagnosed with type 1, you know, 20, 22, 23 years ago. She was actually pregnant with my, my little sister, um, diagnosed with diabetes. And since then, it's just kind of been in the family. So um, as I kind of grew a little bit older, you know, the 15, 16 years old age, I kind of understood it more. Um, and just obviously seeing my mum constantly prick her finger, test her levels, take her insulin. It kind of was in the house, so it was always always around me. Um, yeah. I mean, now I know, obviously, because I'm doing it myself, I know a lot more about it. Um, but it has always kind of I've been in my life for a, for a long time. Yeah, and 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 did that? Um, I don't know, that might sound a silly question, but did, did you find that helpful having someone else in the family who was diabetic in terms of your understanding of of the condition and, and your understanding of what it would, um, what it would entail? Yeah, I think it was a, a big help initially when uh, I was diagnosed. I knew when they said to me, "Okay, you're type one, and you're going to have to." start injecting um, straight away I thought okay I know I'm going to have to I think that was the biggest shock to me because I knew what it involved straight yeah. away I knew it involved testing my sugars constantly taking insulin pretty much constantly you know keeping on top of it um, I can always remember my mum writing down in a little book her levels how much insulin she took how much carbs she ate you know so I can remember all that and I think that was the biggest shock it wasn't the actual taking the insulin. It was, oh, I need to do this all the time now. Yeah. And and like the, you, you, you said earlier about not imagining it as a youngster. From my experience, having been diagnosed at five, I, I consider myself, I know it sounds strange to say it, but quite lucky that that's all I've really ever known. So for you, um, you, you, you've lived uh, like 21 years of your life um, sort of, for want of a better phrase, again, being normal, and all of a sudden you've you've been diagnosed with this this life changing condition. What um, how did your mates respond to it? Like, were were they fairly accepting? Was there a bit of Mickey taking? Because I know obviously you, with yourself being very into the banter, you're um, I, I can imagine that there was a bit of that flying around, and there wasn't as as much sympathy as as maybe some people would have got. Would that be right? <laughs> Uh, bang on, Peachy. Bang on. I mean, <laughs> I, th I think I think my mates, they, they were good, to be fair, because I should have mentioned, when I first got diagnosed, it was, you know, beginning of summer. Three, four weeks after I'd been diagnosed, I was going on a lad's holiday to Ibiza for two weeks. So, number one, my mum was, okay, you better do this, you better do this, you, be you know, give me this list of things. And all I could think about, I mean... 
because it was only three or four weeks diagnosed, all I could think about was going to get absolutely smashed. That with the lads, that that's pretty much what was on my head. But my mates at the same time knew I had only been, you know, diagnosed for a few weeks, and they kind of um, persuaded me to to make sure that I, I did take care of myself, in which I did to the best of my ability at the time. Obviously, with limited knowledge and um, experience with it myself. Um, so even though they, they 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 took the, it wasn't too too bad for them. They they, they did keep me on track. Yeah, no, and and did they mates that have been around you? Did did they have a little bit of the um, a little bit of understanding about diabetes through having seen your mum do it, or um, were they just completely oblivious and sort of learning about it through you educating them? Um, I wouldn't say they knew about it through my mum because I don't think. I mean, if when I was like you know fifteen, sixteen, growing up, grew up with my mates. They would know mum was diabetic, but they wouldn't ask any questions. And I wouldn't really go into detail because, again, it's, it wasn't my condition or anything. It was my mum's. So it's, I don't think we ever had that, you know, a proper in-depth conversation. I think if anyone had to ask them, do you know any type 1 diabetics? They, they would probably say, oh, I think Dingy's mum's got type 1. Um, but they wouldn't be able to um, go into depth about, you know, what insulin does she take or does she take it all the time? how many times did she test her sugars? They wouldn't know any of that. They would just yeah. know the basics, which would be, you, you need to take insulin. That is pretty much the the, the baseline. As you can imagine, there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't understand um, how much work and effort actually goes into um, trying to, to keep it under control. Um, but yeah, um, luckily, back in the day, when, when I first got diagnosed, I was actually a, a lifeguard. Um, so like kind of first aid um, courses and things I think me and all my mates that worked together we all had a, a very basic understanding of it as well but not to the extent where they knew um, absolutely everything Yeah and, and was was there anything um, in particular that you, that, that you found really hard um, to adapt to or, or, or anything that it was like wow that that was the, the 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 biggest life change for me from all of a sudden being diagnosed as diabetic. Um, there was there was two things that really kind of got to me. It was number one, having to carry about the insulin and the, the testing um, monitor feeder and a little pouch all the time, twenty four seven. That just annoyed me. I don't I like I don't like too many things in my pockets. And I, I wouldn't like to kind of walk about holding it. Again, I don't think it was me trying... I think it was maybe trying to hide it a yeah. little bit. That side of things um, kind of had a perception of what people would maybe think. And if I've got it in sight, would ask, oh, what's that? Then I would have to explain it. Um, I mean, I, I think you know I'm not exactly a, a shy boy. I'm not going <laughs> um, <laughs> to you know, turn away from a conversation. However, that the same conversation with every single person that you meet that sees this pouch would be annoying. So I just thought, oh, that's a big thing for me. But the second, the, the hardest thing for me, I think, was hypos. So I struggled with, when I took a hypo, coming out of it, because I would always kind of panic at the beginning um, and take too much. So, you know, take a full can of Coke rather than just half of it. It'd send my sugars through the roof. 
then I would try and correct that later on, and then it would go low again, and it was just constant frustration. I can remember that being like the biggest thing for me. Um, wasn't injecting because the needles are tiny; like you don't even feel it most of the time. Yeah. However, it's the it's just the constant mind games that your sugar's played with you. Uh, it was just a nightmare. Yeah, and, and was the support you got from from the the hospital or from your GP was that was that useful for you? Like, the, or I know speaking to to lots of diabetics, there, there seems to be a real mixed bag. Like, did 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 you find that useful? Or I know some diabetics who have been diagnosed around that age are, are, are a bit a bit dismissive and, and and a bit in denial and sort of don't want to hear from the doctors. Was that was your um, was your experience a positive one? Yeah, it definitely was a positive one, and I think um, I was quite lucky because although my mum was type one diabetic, she went to the the same clinic that I now go to, um, but she knew all the nurses because she worked in the hospital as well, so she was quite friendly with them. Um, so they always knew me as you know Fiona's boy. Well, there's Fiona's boy, he's coming up today for a meeting, or and they've always kind of take care of me. And I think it was more of a a friendly experience rather than talking to someone totally unknown. They would always ask, you know, how's your mum? How's she getting on? How's her levels compared to yours? Are you learning anything off your mum? Um, things like that. So it was quite quite a good experience that way. Um yeah. So how do you feel you've adapted then, Dingy, just in general with your control? Have you felt that you've always had good control? Obviously having, you know, that um, opportunity to learn from your mum as an immediate family member and obviously being an adult when you were diagnosed, do you feel that you've you've grasped it pretty quickly or do you feel that you, they've found some, some big challenges in there? I think there, there was, I mean, everyone's faces challenges when they start you know, new medication in general, but I think taking insulin was a big thing because obviously the honeymoon period, that lasted for two years with me. So I was taking, you know, when I first started taking insulin, I was taking, you know, um, one-to-one ratios. My sugars were, you know, kind of bang on. But after, you know, a couple of days, I was taking far too much insulin. So I was on the, the, the very, very smallest amounts of insulin, which would keep me fine. And then seeing that kind of, deteriorate over the, the two year period um, it was constantly changing um, what I saw that was a constant obstacle and try to control it um, because you don't even know how much insulin you're going to have to take you'll go the next day so I might get it bang on today but tomorrow oh, my, my body's changing because my conditions potentially get you know the honeymoon period's kind of fading away here um, so I'd have to take more insulin the next day it was just constant mind games and I think that was Again, that was kind of the, the hardest thing about it all. You try to get your head around how your body works and how the insulin works. I mean, if, even today, I've got a very good understanding and my sugars are pretty much bang on. However, I'm never going to fully understand everything because I still have off days. Yeah, absolutely. And things have changed for you as well over those years. And um, I know there's been a significant, um, I suppose, exposure to to what we do with the diabetes football community that may have impacted on your life and how you view your condition and how you maybe manage it. So what's that been like coming into your world? So what's the impact that, you know, the diabetes football community has had and how did you get involved with it? Yeah. Um, I think at the time 
when I first kind of contacted the page. Um, I was just looking for someone that was kind of like-minded, someone that liked football. They could tell me how, you know, the body works a bit better, just so I could understand where my sugars should be at and why do they, you know, they spike or, or anything like that during an exercise because I'd, I'd never had anything like that. It was always kind of the information given to me by the nurses and doctors and things was always on um, eating. It was always on, you know, this is kind of slow-reacting sugars and fast-reacting sugars, and that was about information overload over that. There was nothing ever on sport, running about. Your sugars may go up, even though you've not ate anything. So your sugars are going to go higher and lower at certain points, depending on the exercise you're doing at the time. I just didn't get it. And obviously being back in football at that point, just before I got diagnosed, I wanted to to try and kind of grasp it. Um, so after the kind of honeymoon period had faded for me, after a few years, I just didn't know who to ask a question to. Um, and I, I seen the you know the, the TDFC page on Facebook. I gave it a like. I think it was a it was a competition. Um, or I can't even remember what the competition was, Chris. But um, it was to win a t-shirt. I think obviously I had won it, and you'd contacted me from the page, looking for an address. And I think that's when you realised I was from Scotland. And I think we got chatting over the page. And luckily, you said to me, you know, well, I'm going to be in Scotland in a, a month or two. Do you want to meet up and we can? We can discuss, you know, um, things. And it's probably the, at that point, meeting with a stranger from down south that I've never heard of. I didn't even know your name. You know, you, you, said, on the, you said on the TDFC page, oh, it's Chris. Like I'd already knew you. I, I have no idea who Chris is, but he sounds like a nice guy. I'll go and meet him for a coffee. I'll go and meet him for a coffee and, and see what he's got to say. And I think we, we kind of had it off. We, we met Chris. I mean, like, um, like-minded, like playing football. Um, obviously, I was going to say that we like watching football, but you support Villa, so I don't even know if that's true. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for uh, a dig somewhere. I was waiting for him <laughs> to come back with a dig somewhere. Uh, sorry, I'll try and fit in another one anyway. Um, but again, it was just like-minded, and we, we got talking about you know trying to make a difference with your own life and potentially you know making a difference with other people's. Because if I didn't have that, who else is in that position? That information wasn't there. And then that's when you were saying, you know, why don't you come down and meet the lads? We'll, we'll have a, you know, a, a game. And I think the, the, the biggest challenge for me at that point was I'm going to have to travel five and a half hours just to go and play some football with guys that think the same condition as me. And I thought, but you know what? It's going to benefit me in the long run, learning from different experiences, different people, um, different backgrounds, different eating habits, different jobs. I mean, getting to know that, I thought, you know, it's going to be worth it, even if I just go down the once. Um, and it's probably the best decision I've made. The group chat, all the lads in it, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're banter, as you would like to say. Um, it's non-existent compared to mine up here, however. <laughs> um, I mean, no, but like, they, 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 they want to help you out. They, they want to help each other out. If somebody's got a question, the first thing I do about diabetes is probably put it in that chat because even if they don't know the answer, they'll, they'll find the answer. I mean, I don't know more, more in the chat. I mean, I don't know what he does for a living, right? Let, let's not pretend. He's not got a job because any questions put into that <laughs> chat, he has the answer within seconds. Do you know what I mean? Anything about diabetes or um, 
you know, problems with it or insulin or sensors, testing strips. He has got the answer. And it's to have someone like that in a group chat where you're looking for advice or guidance on something, it's unreal. Because there's always someone there, but he seems to always have the answers. It's just small things as well. Um, I'm trying try to think of, you know, something recent. Um, you know, like, I think a, a big part recently was the whole Brexit thing. Do you know, like, is insulin going to be here, going to be there? And I think there was a lot of people worried about it, and there was a, a few a few chats in the group chat about it. And I think after having a, a, a normal discussion with someone that's got the condition with the same worries, it kind of eased you off. It, it kind of made you feel like you weren't you weren't going to you know face the problem alone. There was there was other people out there, which had never happened before. So having that chat there to to talk to us, uh, it's it's great. It's a great support yeah and no, i remember that uh, first meeting that we had very well uh, as you said meeting of of similar minds similar what we wanted to do and achieve and i remember you know that competition and i remember talking to you and you know the key for me was always at the start is to make people feel welcome um make it feel like there's a personal touch it's about environment and creating an ethos where it's accepting Mm-hmm. and brings people in and uh, certainly you know when I said to you oh it's Chris you know for me it's just you know I'm just a person at the other end of a page and I just wanted to um, make sure you felt comfortable that I'm you know I'm a person I'm not a big part of anything else it's just a you know just yeah. somebody somebody just trying to do something good and and bring people together with diabetes and, yeah. and that was and that was the the main main ethos from from the get-go and wanting to have that conversation with you when I come up to Scotland bring you in on on all of the projects the ideas and and where we wanted to go and then having seen you now become you know a big part of um if we want to call it the banter even though I would say our banter is better than yours um you've become a big part of that you've become a part of the a leading part of the WhatsApp group, you know, and um, the laughs that we have in there. Um, you, you know, you've you've been a part of the team now, and as you said, you try, you you drive miles and miles and miles to get involved in this team, and you do it all in one day, and yep. all for you know just wanting to be involved in what we're doing. And I just want you to, if you can, sort of convey that first meeting and the ones that have come after because you drive him from Glasgow to Worcester which is five and a half hours that's going quite quick as well let's not undersell it here that's probably and, and more... probably no breaks straight down yeah this is what I mean so it's probably more of a six six and a half hour one way trip mm. we're talking in one day you were talking like 12 hours of driving yeah what made do you come down once? You, you sort of talked about once, but then what's made you come back multiple times since? Um, I think I think just how easy it was to get on with everyone. Um, and as I said, you know, it's just, just like the group chat. Everyone was helpful, asking each other questions. I mean, everyone's the exact same. No one's played in a team with full, just full of type 1 diabetics before. So get into a changing room where you're seeing everyone test your sugars, taking insulin, talking about it. Oh, my levels are slow, eh, low, 
some of my, my levels are high and try to correct it. See, learning from that experience, just from the other people in the room. I mean, I, I was diagnosed at 21. Peachy's, what, diagnosed at five, did you say, Peachy? Yeah, yeah five, yeah. yeah. So he's had it for like 60, 70 years. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's um, just, just learning from other people as well. Obviously, there are different other insulins out there. Um, a, a big thing for me when I first came down, I was still testing my sugars, you know, prick by prick my finger. Everyone else had, had, at the time, I didn't have a clue what it was. I was like, why are they putting their phone to their arm? Yeah. The, this lot are a weird bunch. I mean, why are you doing that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then obviously discussing it, oh, this is, this is you know, so much better. And I was like, oh, obviously it is, but um, sometimes you feel left out up here in Scotland because we're a bit slower than down south. But, but I can, after that training session, I had inquired about it and I knew what I was asking for. The nurses were happy up here, were happy enough to, you know, help me out getting one of my prescription and things. And see if I didn't, if I didn't come down to play football with you, then I would never know about, you know, the, the Libra or the, um, the Dex home. Or I wouldn't know anything about that. I would still be pricking my finger every day, in which, in my opinion, because of the hassle, you need to carry about the pouch to take it out, put the testing strip in, prick your finger, test your sugar, take the strip back out, bin the strip. You do that every time you want to test your sugars. It's su- such a hassle for some people that they don't do it. So automatically their control is worse just because of that. So like having this, you know, the, the Dexcom or whatever on your arm, testing your sugars when you want without any fuss or complications or any time really so much better and that's why my control is so much better now since you know joining you TDFC well, it's amazing to hear you know what an impact that it's had on you mate and for you to be driving as far as you do and to be getting involved uh, I guess we should expect that it's had a significant impact because I suppose to do that sort of level of travelling and to, to commit in that way it needs to be something for uh, I suppose it needs to be quite special to to do that so yeah. I'm just glad that we've created something that is that special that it can get you to to drive from Glasgow to to Worcester in one day and there and back so and then I suppose with that because you are so you know if we we call it distant from many of the guys that are involved in the if we want to call it the UK um, type one diabetes futsal squad for a minute we've talked about it at length around you know branching out and trying to create our own if you like denominations of tdfc and we've got a tdfc london team and i know that me and you have talked quite at, at length about tdfc scotland so what yeah. what do you think is the hope for us in the future around bringing tdfc a bit more into um or say, let's say, over the border into Scotland. Yeah, I mean, just just knowing how um, how well TDFC has done for me. I mean, traveling all the way down south to do that for someone else up here without the hassle of having to travel six hours to, to do it. Um, I think it would be massive. Uh, anything you can do to try and help out someone else with the same condition or the, the same queries problems, then obviously you want to help. I mean, it's not going really, to be a big hassle for me to try and help to to, to set this up or, or do it because it's something that I enjoy doing. It's not like it's a job for me, it's, it's a hobby. 
Um, so obviously, the, the, the quicker we do this, the better. Um, and I don't think there's, it's going to be a big issue trying to get trying to get players. Um, obviously, if Graham wants to join the team as well, he would always have to change the team he supports. But apart from that, I mean, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure we can we can come to some sort of arrangement there. Um, and obviously, I think Jack would probably play for the Scotland team rather than the England team. Um, I'm pretty sure um, he would he would change allegiances to that one as well. And that brings me on very nicely to uh, your your bromance with Mr. Jack O'Brien, who will be, I'm sure, keen to be on the podcast in the future. So, you know, not only has it brought about for you um, big changes for you in how you've managed your condition, um, some positivity maybe around the word diabetes and also linked it to your real passion in life, which is football. It's also brought about from what I can see, some really amazing friendships within it and, and some mates now that, you know, I, I can imagine you're going to be mates with for the rest of your life. And what's that like as well? You know, sharing, uh, having a, a, a like a top class mate that also shares your your medical condition. Yeah, it's, it's class to be fair because, as I said, it's always just having that, you know, someone to say, am I, am I doing this right? Am I taking my insulin at the same time? Um, you know, um, it's, it's just it's just, it's weird as well because I'm, I'm I've never been used to just taking out the, the insulin pen and injecting myself. I would always make sure it's not because I want to hide it all the time, but I don't think I want to annoy people. So people might have a fear of needles or think it's disgusting, or you know, people's perception on injecting this is, is different um, to to my to my own. So having someone like you know. For instance, like Jack, if you're on a night out, who cares if you just bring the insulin pen out and, and jab yourself? Who cares? You know what I mean? Because he does it as well. Um, and he knows exactly why you're doing it. So there's no, no awkwardness. There's no... Um, uh, there's, there's, just, there's no awkwardness between you uh, because they understand why you're doing it. Um, but obviously, Jack, he's very very similar to me in, in, on the waveline side of things. So uh, it's good to have a meet like that. I think I would clash yourselves is obviously good mates as well. I don't think I'd ever stop talking to um, yourself, Peachy or, or Chris. You know, it's. Um, I just think um, Peachy, obviously, you're too old enough. You're, you're too old for me to kind of hang around with. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm in bed at the same about the time you go out. I think. <laughs> well, I was going to say. I mean, it's it's quite late just now. I don't, I don't know why you're still up, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good, isn't it, to have that kind of level of acceptance with the, your peers around you. Helps you make, you know, makes you feel comfortable about the whole situation. And, um, you know, that, that bond that you have with um, us and, like you said, with, with Jack is, and, and with the others, you know, in, within the team, is something that I think it's quite different and it's quite unique in the way that we interact with each other because this is making something so normal that are probably for many of us in our lives has been deemed not normal so to have mates and friends like that that can help you feel for you know for whatever time it may be that you know what you live with is you know it's perfectly fine to be that way it's it's normal I think it's just you know it's an it's incredible opportunity isn't it and uh you know it's um it's a it's 
it's a great it's a great chance to be able to share it with with people around you and uh we're gonna we're gonna take a little break from the old serious stuff now mr ding wall and we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna throw you in with the 90 seconds with mr peach <laughs> in which i'm gonna time so mr peach are you ready with the questions ready and i'm hoping he gives the correct answers well no silly questions now mr peach well, he is, he is a Glasgow Rangers fan, so I'm not expecting uh, too many correct answers on this, John, if I'm Ooh. honest. Oh, oh. I believe he's said yeah, Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming for you, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. You know, I, you know I'll, poke, I'll poke the bear on this one and uh, let's see what you come up with, Mr Dingwall. Um, it's all fun and games, isn't it? It's all football banter. I, I love you all, really, and uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to upset any Glasgow Rangers fans either. So um, yeah, you're all great up there as well. And Glasgow Celtic, you know, you're all brilliant. Um, <laughs> Which do you prefer, Brighty Rangers or Celtic? Uh, no comment. Backtrack. Um, Peachy, are you ready with the questions? I'm ready. I'm ready. Right, and the timer will begin now. Who was your hero growing up? Uh, hero, uh, Barry Ferguson. Pineapple on a pizza? Absolutely not. Good choice. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Haaland or Mbappe? Mbappe. Steven Gerrard or Walter Smith? Walter Smith. Tea or coffee? Tea. Favourite food? Chicken curry. Vero Oasis. Oasis. Uh, Favourite holiday destination? Ibiza. Tricky one for you this. Rangers or Celtic? Absolutely. Sorry. Rangers, come on. Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Villa or Spurs? They're both absolutely hopeless, but I'm going to have to go with Villa. Yes. <laughs> Go what? on. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> He's got another 20 I'll seconds, John. Move on, move on, John. I'll explain it then. I'll explain it then. <laughs> Jack told me to. Um, Grealish or Lingard? Lingard. Unbelievable. What's your, what's your dream job? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll pass. Wrestler. A wrestler. <laughs> oh, a wrestler. The timer, a wrestler. The, the, a, wrestler. a wrestler. What a way to finish timer! <laughs> Can we just go back? You you chose Villa uh, because Villa aren't a super club. Yeah, to be honest, mate, Spurs <laughs> aren't a super club. <laughs> All right, boy. <laughs> never been described as that. that. I there think, is... I mean, Villa are a decent, you know, kind of mid to low level Premiership team. And I've still got more of a chance of winning the title than Spurs, so I think I need to give it to Villa. <laughs> Mate, I'll, I'll be honest. Rangers have got more chance of winning the Premier League than Spurs. Don't worry. Yeah, well, I, I can. I, I would agree. <laughs> and if you well, if you want to back, backtrack to another one, um, Lingard, twice the player and twice the man of Jack Grealish. There you go. <laughs> now I know. You've not watched football in the. I, I know you now. I know your rose-tinted glasses are for Scottish football because you have not been watching any football in the last few years. Mm, I have. 
Grealish spends more time on the floor than he does on his feet, so that's enough for me. Oh. Well, I, I, I can, I can, I can't see you, but I can feel the eyes burning just now. I know you hate me, Chris. It's fine. I told you I'd get you though. It stings a little because he's my, he's our my captain, and um, he is, uh, he's a phenomenal footballer. So, um, but it is only just opinions, you know. Football is all about opinions, and uh, in this case, and your opinion Mr. is wrong. And well, in this case, Mr. Dingwall, I'm going to completely disregard yours um, because, uh, yeah, it's not valid. So, uh, John, please move on. <laughs> All right, quickly then. Um, Dingy, I just want to chat a little bit about work um, and diabetes with you as well. Um, so you are a police officer. I think at the moment, the, the big question to put to you, do you know who H is? Do you have any inside knowledge? Do I know who who is? What did you? You don't watch Line of Duty. Do you not watch Line of Duty? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry, I don't. No, I don't. Has it not come out in Scotland yet? <laughs> oh, very, very funny, very funny. Nah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not. It's not one of the things I would watch. Um, I have promised myself I will watch it eventually, but um, nah, I've, I've never watched it. Disappointing. You thought I was talking about H from Steps, then, didn't you? I was actually thinking, yeah. Uh, Brilliant, right? So, oh, I can't believe you don't watch it. So, I'm shocked. <laughs> I thought you is had... that just wasted your last <laughs> segment. Have you had a big joke waiting for me? And you can't because oh, no. I've not watched it. Nah, to be honest, I didn't. That, that was that was way anyway, We'll edit that bit out, mate. Don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> so, Sorry, um, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so just I, I was really just quite interested in um, with with your line of work and um, how you manage your, your your diabetes with work and with um, with, with two like uh, two days not being similar. With you might have to suddenly being be called out to do something something that you think right will take five minutes might take longer. Do you ever have those times when you sat down ready to eat or you've injected to eat and, and you suddenly get called out and have you ever had any experiences like that? Yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, I think the, the first thing was um, getting in medicals and things. Yeah. People are in, in, under the perception that, well, if you have to take one that beats, you can't, you, you can't do that. Yes, you can. See if you've, you put the hard work and the effort in, you can just do everything the exact same. Do you know what I mean? So, like, that, that I think that was one of the most frustrating parts eh, of trying to get the job in the start. It was always, mm, I, I, can you actually do that? Of course I can. I've I, I put in the hard work. My, my levels are fine. And I, I can do the job the same as anyone else. And I think that's a, that's a big message for anyone that wants to do a job where they think, you know, I can't do that because I'm type 1 diabetic. Look into it. See if you've got... Um, the knowledge and understanding of your condition, you'll be able to do anything that you you know you want to do. Um, but yeah, when I'm working, it can go from one extreme to another, as you can imagine. And yeah. days you don't get breaks. I mean, the lads in my shift have you know take take the mic out of me because I eat constantly. I've put on a few stone, I think, um, Peachy, um, over the over the lockdown. Why'd you um, say me? Well, it's nothing too. There's nothing too bright because he runs every day, so I have to. <laughs> an adult that eats. 
Oh, do, um, do you follow him on Instagram as well when he's putting all his runs on oh, there? I, and, I had to oh, unfollow him. Oh. I know. It's it's killing me. Yeah. Especially if you're retiring as well. You've got bad <laughs> knees like me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's... Uh, it's it, it difficult because if you can imagine when you're in the house making your dinner just for, you know, a normal day, you're going to take your insulin, you know, 15 minutes before you've already counted out your, your carbs. Um, and then you eat your dinner and you're, you're fine. When you do that at work, it never ever goes to plan. So I always need to carry about the, the glucose tabs with me um, just in case. And I, to be honest, I use them quite a lot. Um, I always try and have a dinner or something to eat before I, before I start my shift. And if I can get something to eat, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it can be difficult at times. Because it could be, as you said, going to something that would you think it's only going to take ten minutes, and seven hours later you're still there. And and how have you? How do you find the the change? Obviously, with, with you having to do shifts, do you ever have any problems with with going from your your shifts during daytime to night time, or is that fairly a fairly smooth transition? It's it's fairly smooth, and by the most part. Um, I find on the night shift, so like during the night, between the hours of maybe, I would say 11 o'clock at night and four, five o'clock in the morning, I need to take so much more insulin than I would usually take. Um, so I'm on Humalog and usually I'm kind of one to one, roughly, um, for, my, for anything I eat. But when it comes to night time, when I'm working, still awake, I need to take two, sometimes three even, depending on what I'm eating. And it's see trying to get used to that. So put your head around that on top of what you're doing on shift or however it may be. It's difficult. I mean, trying to, to work it out. Um, it can be bamboozling at times. And sometimes I come home at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning looking to go to my bed, look at my sugars and they're 14, 15. You're thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? But sometimes yeah. it's just so, some some days it's just difficult to to try and nail it because I think I would rather, unfortunately, run them slightly higher than have me go to a hypo and I can't do my job because I need you know I need sugar. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. As, 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 and as you, I know you you said at the start about um, sort of wanting to prove people wrong and just going. Do you know what? I can do it. Have, has anyone ever sort of either said to your face or, or made any comments about, or are you sure you can do that? Is that you're diabetic, or has, has anyone ever made any comments about you not being fit to do the job because of your diabetes? Um, not within the job. I mean, I think anyone that I work with, I mean, like, I, I would like to think that um, they think I'm, I mean, other than the diabetes, they can I can do my job. But if they know I'm diabetic, they're not going to say anything to me. I can't do the job or anything because I've already got the job. So they know I'm capable of doing it. However, yeah. when I was applying for the job, people, like friends with me, oh, you're not type 1 diabetic. But that was the only comment they would make. I'm thinking, look, it doesn't really change anything. If I, if I want to uh, play football, I, I'm going to play football. If I want to do this as a job, that's what I'll do as a job. And I, I can control what I do because my control is good. 
yes, if there's, um, you know, my back control was bad, like my sugars are constantly high or constantly taking hypos, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't do the job because I wouldn't be able to. So yeah. it's all about keeping keeping a close eye on it and understanding your own body and how it works and just keeping keeping the control um, very good or at least the best of your ability. You're always going to have days off, but um, just keeping it as close as you can. I think that's a pretty good message for anyone listening that's, you know, living with type one about control and just doing the best you can, but try and be as consistent as you can in, in keeping your levels in, in that range. And, and then it shouldn't stop you from going on to achieve whatever you want to achieve, whether it's, you know, with yourself dinghy with your career and also obviously with, with the things that we've done in terms of um, looking at Dio Euro as an example and uh, you know, getting an opportunity to represent your country and your condition and um, wanting to just ask you about that as well. You know, you're the first Scottish player to play at um, the European Championships for people with diabetes, Futsal Championships for people with diabetes in Dio Euro. And um, I wondered what, you know, that whole experience meant to you. You know, you, you came into us, obviously, from... <laughs> having to make all of that sacrifice and commitment to be involved in the sessions in, in Worcester from where you were in Glasgow. And then you got this opportunity to, to be a part of the squad. And I just wondered, you know, how that felt to be the first person from Scotland to play for your country and to play for your condition. Class. That, that's pretty much, it was class. I, I wasn't expecting to get picked or selected to even go. Never made about playing as much as I did as well, but um, very, very unexpected. But I mean, I'm better than everyone else that was there, so obviously I should be selected. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> um, confidence. But I mean, yeah, it was just a very, very good experience because obviously it was totally different going there than the sessions. The sessions, the main reason I went there was personal reasons. It wasn't to go and play. It was just to play football with people with the same condition and learn that's why I got involved to begin with once I'd been selected and there was you know how many training sessions before we went away to Kiev for the, the tournament the the mindset changed I don't know if you, you two felt the same with that but I mean on the lead up to the tournament I was thinking right I want to go here and I, I want to win I want, I want to I want to make sure I play well I want to make sure the team does well I want the, the whole like mind frame beforehand was totally different and just being able to go I mean being the first Sc- Scottish person is obviously a, a big I'd say an achievement um, it's always going to be something that sticks with me um, no matter if I'm in future squads or not I'm always going to be involved and I'm always going to be kind of or remember Dingy on that tournament that Scottish guy you know what I mean that I'm always going to be kind of involved in some way, shape or form in the tournaments. And I think knowing that is a big thing. But come on, sing, singing your national anthem before a game. <laughs> surreal. Absolutely surreal. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, when I heard um, Tim talking about it previously, it just brought back so many memories for myself. Like, exactly the same experience. Like The guys were like, wait, wait till you hear this and... How you 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 not even realise how loud you're singing and and it was it was to be honest it was embarrassing because 
we, not one of us were in tone or in harmony. <laughs> we're all just <laughs> screaming. And it was good, but it was horrendous at the same time. But oh, what an experience. And I think after I'd done that, the, the first day, I mean, I think was it the the last day we had games? We had two games in the one day. And I can remember singing it in the, first, in the morning we had the first game. And in the afternoon, all I could think about was, like, okay, this next game, we'll go out and we'll make sure we sing this national anthem. That's how we get a good start. And it's just crazy. Like, me, a guy that's very, very average at football, can get picked for a squad to go and represent the country, singing the national anthem. Nah. If I told my, my friends I was doing that before I actually went, they would be like, ah, you're, you're making that up, thingy. You're, you're, you're not good enough to go. And you won't be singing any national anthem at any tournament. But I've done it. And well, it's all an experience that always stuck with me. Now, and no, nobody can take that away from me. I've done that. Absolutely. Yeah. You, and, you know, you've been able to, in that moment, reframe type 1 diabetes and what it means to you as a, you know, it's a negative or it can be a negative experience for for all of us, you know, being diagnosed and, and probably is for most of us. Um, and then in that moment, it's given you an opportunity that you thought you may never get, you know, that chance to represent your country, uh, your condition at a European Hi. tournament and travel as well at the same time, experience a new culture, spend a week away with others and, and try and pick up uh, other things and also develop, you know, mates, friendships learn from from things around your condition what sort of um things really stood out to you then dinghy from that whole experience obviously i know you're competitive you like me we we're so keen to win and be uh, and we don't like losing and i i really don't like it and i know you don't like it but um, <laughs> <I hate> it. <laughs> yeah and, and, you know, unfortunately, that tournament, we had some really tough games and it was a challenge. And, uh, you know, we gave it our best go. But we, at times we were, you know, we were we were finding it tough. So, what? yeah, there, but obviously there's a, a whole a whole load of other positives that come out of it, aside from just that playing experience. What what else stood out for you, aside from, you know, maybe listening to the national anthem and, and getting that incredible opportunity? I think it's very similar to the the whole going to the, the training sessions um, in Worcester. It was the togetherness of the, the squad, having the same condition and things, but I got pretty much going away and living with someone for a full week. Someone I didn't really know. I mean, I shared a room with Calvin, great guy. Didn't even didn't know each other. Spoke to each other a little before we went at training sessions, but we didn't really know each other too well. But we, we had it off, like, but I, I, just the same as everyone else in the squad. And I think going for something to eat, seeing Calvin doing his tests and t- taking his um, insulin, exactly the same as me, it was just, it felt easy. And it felt like it was a, di- a totally different world to what I actually live in. It was like a, a bubble. Because not only was I doing that in, you know, in my room with my roommate, the rest of the team was doing it in their rooms with their roommates. The other teams in the tournament were doing it as well. And just the fact that you went to this tournament and looking about and every single person that you've seen had type 1 diabetes, again, that was surreal. Like, I've never been in a room full of diabetics before. And I think no one would no one would take one would actually think that's, that's possible. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, when you get first diagnosed, you think, oh, I, I only know one other person who take one diabetes. But you forget how big and how much of the population actually has diabetes as well. You know, a lot of people do not talk about it. And I think it's just being away for that week has helped me so much as well. Such a, you know, just like the, the training sessions, but being away for that week, living with someone, you know, getting something stupid like getting um, well, Pepsi Max rather than Pepsi out the shop. And the reason they're getting Pepsi Max is the same reason why you're getting Pepsi Max because there's no carbs, there's no sugar in it. It's not going to affect your levels. And then, you know, the same food, right? Okay, what are you taking? What, how much insulin are you taking for that? Well, I'm taking the same. How weird is that? And it's just, it was just incredible. It was a great experience. Not obviously for different reasons in the football, but um, yeah, it was just a, a learning experience. That, again, I'll never forget that. And I'll always kind of different situations in my life just now where my sugars are going high or something's going wrong. I always have a, a memory or something of the tournament where I can go back to and think, right, okay, oh, I remember, you know, Jack did this or Tim did that or, you know, do you know what I mean? So there's always something that kind of signposts me back to something that happened at Daya Euro or one of the training sessions. And I just think that's, again, that's something that nobody can take away from me. Yeah, it's, um, it's a special, special tournament. The impact that it's had on me, um, the way that you talk about it there and the impact that it's had on you, Dingy, it's something that will always stick with me. All the tournament, the, you know, the two tournaments that I've been to, the experiences that I've had prior to it as well by going to Portugal to meet their team and then bringing it back for, you know, others like yourself to experience and have the opportunity to represent your country and your condition. And then almost like just how in the same way that we set up the sessions, you know, the, the pull to bring you all in is that amazing tournament that training session it's about the sport and that's what the tournament's all about you know it's about competition we get there and we're super competitive but what is incredible about it is that amazing byproduct which you talk about there of you spend a week with people just like you from all over Europe and you learn about you know in your own country you learn about how other people are managing it to tackle the things that you like to do and then you also learn from I don't know how you felt about it as well how lucky sometimes and I know you know talking about being lucky living with type 1 diabetes it doesn't sound right but how <laughs> lucky we are in comparison to some of the other European countries that we share the court with and what they have to cope with in their own countries and um, and then when you go into battle and you play the game and you know it's just like any other game of sport it's competitive you want to win but then there's a you know you you come out of that moment if you like that that gladiator gladiator moment where you're all in battle and you come out of it but you feel you feel connected i don't know i feel connected to the opposition and i feel that there's a bond there that isn't there with any other opposition that i've ever faced in my entire life so um it is an incredible tournament and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you've had that opportunity and um, yeah, Dingy, you're always going to be welcome with all of us, mate. And uh, it's going to be in the coming years, hopefully an opportunity for us all to get back out to die Euro and experience it again, probably, you know, maybe beyond 2021 with how things are going in the terms of the pandemic, yeah. but um, you know, something that we, I look back on fondly and I look forward to in the future, you know, fondly as well. Um but yeah, just want to say 
thank you very much for sharing all of that. And you know how this podcast ends, mate. So we're, we're time to shuffle on over to Mr. Peach, who has got his three questions ready for you. <laughs> dingy, dingy, as you know, all you need to do is give me your number. Okay, so it is between one and 24. Okay, so pick your first number. Seven. Seven. Who is your current favourite player to watch? Ooh. Um, Joe Rebo, Rangers, dancing, magic feet. Unreal. Would you, um, do, you, do you model yourself on him? Um, I'm slightly bigger and stronger, but yeah, um, he's <laughs> he's a bit of a player. <laughs> Brilliant. Got next question. Next number, sorry. Uh, I'm going to go nine. Nine. Um, if you're going to a fancy dress party, who would you go dressed as? <laughs> <laughs> cracker, Peachy. Absolute oh, cracker. I got some new ones. So if I had to go to a party dressed as someone, who would I go dressed as? And it can't be Jack. No, I wouldn't dress as him anyway. Come on, I'm not that. I, I'm not <laughs> ugly enough to pull that off. Um, I would go as Neil Lennon because it's funny. <laughs> I won't ask what you would do. <laughs> I will leave that to the imagination. Yeah, exactly. Go on, final, <laughs> final, final number. Um, go twenty. Twenty. Um, what is your favourite TV show? Favourite TV show in general, or just now? Let's go just now. Just now. Um, I would say Game of Thrones because I've watched it again from the start, so. I'm obviously addicted to that just because it's so long. Um, in general, probably has to be Friends, the original. Oh, the old classic. Disappointed with the end of Game of Thrones or not? Yeah, of course. I, I don't think I've met anyone that's not disappointed yeah. with the end of Game of Thrones. Uh, it's pretty much as disappointing as the end of Celtic season, isn't it? Oh, nice little dig. Yeah, nice little dig in there. Dingy, I am... We've gone all the way through this podcast. We there's so many things we haven't mentioned. We haven't mentioned about um, your ability to to nutmeg people. You you claim to be able to nutmeg a mermaid. Is that correct? I, I don't claim. It's fact. It's <laughs> fact. Um, oh, you've seen you've seen it in training. There's plenty of videos about it. Um, I'm pretty sure that one of the videos will be posted on the page fairly fairly soon. Um, <laughs> I think. And, yeah, I I do like a nutmeg. And, and talking of videos, is there is there a certain video that you you like to send out to people regularly that, that you wanted to mention? I think if you're in the, the DDFC group chat, there's a video that I constantly constantly push on to people because it's probably the best and worst futsal video of all time. We are pre- we are Do you want to describe it to uh, us? Oh, no problem at all. Graciously, Tim's got the ball. And he rolls it out to Jack. But now this is a training session, ready for Kiev. We're taking things very, very seriously. Tim's got the ball in his hands. He shouts a command. Jack comes in. He rolls the ball to Jack. Jack, first touch, lays it off perfectly for Zach. And I'm up top, waiting for the dig over the top. So Zach pings it to me. 
I take a great touch and Jackie's made the run behind me. Unfortunately, Big Scott had the very, very impossible task of marking me. And he, with the size of his legs, I could have done it blindfolded if I wanted to. But I've just backheeled it through Big Scott's legs. I, in the video, you can hear my dad. You can hear Harley. Oh, oh, it was a delicious, oh, because I went through his legs. And I'm walking away with a swagger thinking, Jack's through on an empty net because the other team didn't have a goalie at the time just because we're practising plays. Jack's first touch, hits a shot, misses the net. Oh, it is the worst miss I've ever seen in my life. I genuinely, I genuinely believe that. And I think how, anyone that sees the video will, will agree with that. How far out would you say Jack was at that point? Two and a half inches out. Nah, he's taught, <laughs> he's taught what, he's not even 10 yards out. He's probably about, I would say about eight, six, seven, probably closer than that. Just outside, outside the six yard maybe. Oh my days. And he's, he's not even not even close. He's, he uses the excuse that he was trying to put it in the corner. But come on, I could have fell over the ball and I would have went in. He's hit it and it's went wide into an empty net. Oh, embarrassing. How he gets selected for Kiev, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you hate me for that. Would, you, um, would it be fair to say at that point you didn't think he was simply the best? Oh, well, there's another story where I don't think he's simply the best, but he is one of my best mates now. But um, can, you, <laughs> yeah, can you remember the, the, the first training session I came down for, Brighty? I think so, mate, yeah. Wait. So obviously, me ready for the game, there was only one thing I could wear. My Rangers, my Rangers yeah, yeah. top. I remember. So I've walked in. The only person I spoke to in the training session is yourself. So I'm meeting the guys. They're obviously wondering, what what glorious top are you wearing? Some Rangers, Rangers, Rangers. Okay, I'm feeling good about myself. Couple of warm-ups, feeling good about myself. And I look over, and I, again, he's going to hate me for this, but I need to tell the story because it's funny. I look over and I see Jack. And he's been a black top and he turns round and I can see the front of it. And it's a Celtic third kit, black, from years ago. And I'm thinking, oh, you're getting it. That's exactly what I thought. I thought, as soon as there's a 50-50, you're going up in the air and I'm going to feel good about myself. Um, unfortunately, things didn't plan out that way and we're pretty much very, very, very good friends. But he's, uh, that Celtic top's no longer um, wearable, shall we say. Um, it will never be that again and he's the Rangers one so all is forgiven and we, um, just finally we, we haven't mentioned that I think you're the only member of the uh, TDFC squad who when we all went for our morning run in Kiev cried off after was it one lap of a 30 minute run and was did the, physically did the on the side part? crying I don't think we need the story. All I think we need to remember is you on the side crying while we were all slugging our guts <laughs> out, running round. Uh, it was raining peachy and it wasn't tears. It wasn't tears. <laughs> all I'll it was, say it was clearly is clearly, I think Ian broke a toenail in preparation for that run and couldn't. No actually take part John I think there was a serious injury involved and actually nah. um, the, the broken toenail meant that um, yeah 
he couldn't take part. If you remember, I actually had cracked ribs. I cracked my rib after a tackle in the Ireland game the day before. So don't start, you to Stop trying to wind me up. It's not going to work. I wasn't also going to mention the yo-yo test where it's the Dingy's the only person I've seen use diabetes as an excuse to drop out. Oh, my blood sugar's going low. Oh, I'm going to have to have one of these tablets. Oh, I can't swallow it because my mouth's too dry. Oh, he's dropped out. Listen, Peachy, all I'm going to say is my glucose control <laughs> is that good. I can plan in hypers when I want them to be. So I made sure that I had taken too much insulin just before the, the test so I didn't have to do it. Honestly, fitness is not my strong game. I think we all know that. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it's um, fine. Next time, John, we will surprise everybody with the fitness test because now um, Dingy's giving away the game. So, um, yeah, nobody's going to know when that fitness test is going to arrive. So he can't plan his hypo in. He'll it, just turn uh, up with a note from his mum. So, oh, he gets hurt <laughs> his knee. He can't do it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm injured anyway. My knee's, my knee's gone. So I don't see the fitness test happening anytime soon. Dingy, I think um, anyone that doesn't know you will listening to this will realise what a character you are, what you what you bring to to TDFC, what you bring to the group. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, we could have there's so many stories we could have talked about. Um, we probably can't because we want many people to be listening to this. Um, <laughs> but it's it, it's it's really great getting an insight and and again someone that's being diagnosed as a, as a 20 year old so you you've got those different experiences you've you've lived your life a bit before and and then you've had you, you've had to adapt you've got that experience of having seen your mum and um, be um sort of go through her diagnosis and and um live her life w- w- with diabetes um it, it's been great chatting to you again mate it's um you've got so many great stories and and i, I i've loved apart from your your choice of villa i've loved it Thank you. Uh, don't, don't take the, the villa thing seriously because I don't like them either. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you, PJ. You too, Chris. I was I was gonna I was gonna say thank you very much then until you came in with the uh, with the dig there about Aston Villa, Mr. Dingwall. But um yeah, no jokes aside to end on. Um thank you so much for coming on, mate. As Peachy's already said, um your varied experience, having been diagnosed as an adult, um, having now had it for a few years, having had it very closely linked to you within your family as well, growing up around it and then transitioning to live with the condition yourself. It's all really useful for people to hear. And as Peachy also said, you know, you as a character, one that we really value within everything that we do at the diabetes football community, you bring a lot of, um, as people will hear on this podcast, a lot of banter, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs to the whole situation of, you know, what sometimes is not, you know, a fun condition to live with. So um, a really, really big thank you from me for, for you being involved with what we do at the community. And um, a big thank you for appearing on the Diabetes Dugout with me and Peachy today. Yeah, thanks very much for the invite, guys. And hopefully there's a part two soon. Well, that's it for this episode. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, that will help us and the show to reach more people. 
Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show, send us an email about the Diabetes Dugout to the Diabetes Football Community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.